أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وإذا سمعوا ما أنزل إلى الرسول ترى أعينهم تفيض من الدمع مما عرفوا من الحق يقولون ربنا آمنا فاكتبنا مع الشاهدين وما لنا لا نؤمن بالله وما جاءنا من الحق ونطمع أن يدخلنا ونطمع أن يدخلنا ربنا مع القوم الصالحين فأثابهم الله بما قالوا جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار فأثابهم الله بما قالوا جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها وذلك جزاء المحسنين والذين كفروا وكذبوا بآياتنا أولئك أصحاب الجحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد so alhamdulillah, we begin the, sixth, the seventh juz of the Qur'an today, following the sixth one. The end of the sixth juz was regarding the Christians and then the Jews, uh, or the Jews and then the Christians and the Munafiqeen. And the last point there in verse 82 was about the sympathy that generally many Christians have uh, and the hand of friendship that they could extend and it spoke about the reasons for that. Now, the beginning of the seventh juz, which is still Surah Al-Ma'idah, the fifth surah of the Qur'an, it begins with another incident about another group of Christians. And it starts off, وَإِذَا سَمِعُوا مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ That when they listen to and when they hear that which has been revealed to the Messenger in the Qur'an, when they, reveal, when they listen to the Qur'an, تَرَى أَعْيُنَهُمْ تَفِيدُ مِنَ الدَّمْعِ you're actually going to, you see that their eyes are now watering. They're weeping. Tears are flowing from their eyes. Because of the truth that they've now recognized. The Quran is speaking the truth. Truths which were in their heart. And that were maybe not vocalized. That they were just waiting to be realized. Suddenly when they hear the Quran, it just suddenly makes absolute sense. It's according to their fitrah and their nature. And that actually causes them to cry. And that's why, يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا آمَنَّا فَاكْتُبْنَا مَعَ الشَّاهِدِينَ So they, they proclaim that our Lord, they invoke Him saying, we believe and thus write us from among the witnesses. Why shouldn't we? وَمَا لَنَا لَا نُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ That's such a wonderful expression. Like, why shouldn't we believe? وَمَا جَاءَنَا مِنَ الْحَقِّ وَنَطْمَعُ وَيُدْخِلَنَا رَبُّنَا مَعَ الْقَوْمِ الصَّالِحِينَ Right? And the truth and uh, why shouldn't we hope that our Lord will enter us uh, among, or along with or among the people who are righteous. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala أَثَابَهُمُ اللَّهُ بِمَا قَالُوا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based on what they said or for what they said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewarded them Jannat, gardens. Now remember the word Jannah 
In many of our languages, ethnic languages, we use the word Jannah. Jannah, Jannah, the way, uh, however people say it. It's an Arabic word, and it comes from the same root as Jinn. Junoon. Junoon means insanity. Jinn means the genie. And Jannah means the garden. What's this, what is the similarity or the common factor between them? Well, the common factor between them is that it comes from the root of Jinn or Jannah or Jannah. And basically that means for something to be overcome, to be veiled and covered. So the jinn are veiled and that's why they're called a jinn. And junoon, it covers the mind so a person can't think straight. So that's why it's called insanity and junoon. And then the garden, what's garden got to do with everything? Well, these are really lush gardens that will be covered in greenery. Like greenery that really appeals to the heart. That's why the life of paradise is going to be an outside life. Yes, there are buildings, there are uh, hollowed out pearls for the azwaj and all the rest of it. But why would you need to be inside when it's outside? I mean, you're living in the West in cold countries, like the UK generally cold, you know, you're stuck indoors. So you think that that's the life. That's why you make everything the way it is. But people who really understand nature, they don't like buildings, right? And that's why in paradise, you need a building, you need the concealment and so on. But here you've got lush gardens. And that's what Jannah is, and that's the dominant idea of Jannah. So that's why it's the garden. So Allah has then rewarded them gardens beneath which rivers flow, and they will abide in there forever. And that is the reward of doers of good. May Allah make us of the doers of good. Mm-hmm. And then immediately afterwards, there's always, whenever you look in the Quran, if you haven't noticed it already, whenever there's what we call targhib, there's always going to be a bit of targhib with it. Whenever the dominant theme is tarheeb, then there's always going to be a bit of tarheeb with it. Tarheeb and tarheeb, this is a common theme throughout the Quran. Everywhere, every page you, you read, there's going to be some tarheeb or tarheeb there. It's constantly. Tarheeb is encouragement by the discussion of paradise, good deeds, rewards, love of Allah, etc. And tarheeb is basically warning you, discouragement. Right, so first is persuasion, this one is dissuasion or discouragement by talking about hellfire, by talking about punishment, by talking about people of the past and how they went wrong and what, what happened to them and their evil uh, ending and so on and so forth. So firstly, this discussion is about those Christians, which I'm going to be telling you about and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards them. And then after that, there's one line before he moves on to the discussion of the rulings. Uh, Allah says, and those people who disbelieve and who deny and reject our ayat, our signs, our verses, they are going to be the people of hellfire. Just that much, that's it. Just to always show that balance. Uh, And a lot of the time when the whole discussion is about dissuasion, it's about discouragement, there's always going to be a way out. Always, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ amanu, Except those who believe and do good deeds. Always giving a way out. Because the Quran is not here to just condemn. The Quran is here to wake people up. So what is this story about? So essentially what happened here is that these ayat about these Christians who became Muslim are about uh, those of Habasha, Abyssinia, uh, nowadays Ethiopia, that area. And as you know that many Muslims had migrated there already. The king was a Christian king and a very positive, very, very accommodating for people of belief. And that's why you know the whole story about when the people of Makkah sent somebody, a delegation to bring them back. The Muslims would migrated there. He refused to give them back. So now when the Quran was recited there, literally they started weeping. 
their beards became they they they, they became uncontrollable almost in there because it was like something that they'd always been looking for and now it had dawned upon them it was there for them for the taking their beards they became wet according to the transmissions we have the effect of the quran is such that is the effect of the quran and allahu akbar when a person reads the quran with an open mind objectively with no biases no subjectivity no animosity even in fact there's been people who've looked at the quran with animosity and they've been bowled over right not necessarily everybody but there have been a lot of people even like that but generally anybody who looks open minded and just read it themselves in the quran then there's no doubt that it will affect them they read it unfortunately when we are going through the quran we don't have that kind of personal time with it because we're always rushing to talk about the main themes uh, but that's the idea that when you have time you do this for yourself and today we've got a surah coming up after surah al-maida the next surah surah al-an'am it's just entirely about reflection it's very difficult to give a tafsir of and you'll see when i come across that it was kind of quite surprising uh, when you look at it as a whole like that so when a person doesn't have hatred and animosity enmity uh, superiority complex almost then the Quran is, you look at it with humility to learn, to seek with the talab and the desire, then it will definitely open up. And that's the, that, that, is, that is basically the adab of the Quran, to look at it for that. Otherwise, the Quran will just, uh, just help, you to, uh, if you, if, to, to help you to go further in your, uh, in your wrong. Right? Uh, Allah raises certain people with the Quran and puts others down by the Quran as an evidence because you're looking for the wrong thing in there. Now, once that's been discussed... Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then It is a madani surah as we know Back to masail And the rulings that are starting here Is from, pay, uh, is from verse 87 And onwards So the first discussion is That the, as, I, as we said before There was some discussion of this At the beginning of the chapter uh, Surah Al-Ma'idah It's about food um, Or the food spread Which we haven't discussed yet but there were lots of laws about what's halal and what's haram and purity and so on and so forth. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la tuharrimu tayyibati ma ahallallahu lakum. There there was a lot of discussion about what is impure. Now here, it's the discussion is that don't go overboard because the Meccans, they had this idea of a lot of excesses, a lot of arbitrary judgments about what's halal and what's haram. And they would come up with many different ideas uh, in that regard. Um, which we'll discuss a bit more later when the verses come. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, look, Islam is the deen of moderation. While there are definitely things which are harmful to you, right? And they are haram, like blood and so on. You know, they need to be avoided and carrion. And it's all for health reasons. I don't know why people argue about this and why they insist on making things halal that are not halal, right? And say, no, it's okay, be, be easy. I mean, it's for your health. Has anybody thought about it that way? It's not just a, a legal issue. People think it's just a legal issue. For it to be slaughtered this way or that way, or the, uh, the, the, the food of the Christians or Jews or whatever the case is, or even if it's a bit doubt, it's okay. In Islam, there's very few things whose asal and whose basis, default position is haram. Nearly everything in the world for a Muslim is halal by default, unless you've got evidence for its impermissibility and unlawfulness, except two things, minimum, two things. One is inter, 
gender relationship, intimacy between genders, that is by default haram. That's why you need nikah there, or riq, um, uh, um, for, uh, for, for that to become halal. Right? That's why you need a nikah and a marriage to take place. Otherwise, by default, it's haram. Right? If I find, if I find uh, a plant in a forest, the only thing that's going to stop me from eating that if it's harmful, like it has a health problem, otherwise it's halal. But the things which are by default haram, we have to look for halal, is intergender, relationship, intimacy. And number two, it's carrion meat, dead animals. If they're not slaughtered according to the proper way, they're considered dead. By default, that's haram. Right? That, that's by default haram. As mentioned in the Quran, etc., you need a dalil to make it halal. And the way to make it halal and lawful is by sac- slaughtering it properly. So that's technically understand, but it's for the health. It's one of the main reasons is health reasons. So then Allah says, Right, so do not make haram those pure things that Allah has made lawful to you and do not cross the boundaries. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't like people who cross boundaries, so don't go excessive now. Uh, that's why the ulama actually say that if you make something which is halal, haram, that's the same as making something haram, halal. But a lot of people think that the second one is worse than the first. Because most people do that, I guess, that's why. Otherwise, they're both the same because you're just changing the hukum of the Prophet وسلم, and, the, and Allah. So anyway, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكُلُوا مِمَّا رَزَقَكُمُ اللَّهِ حَلَالًا طَيِّبًا Eat whatever's on the earth. No, whatever Allah provides you. Whatever Allah has sustained you with and provided you with, as long as halal and tayyib, pure, then eat that. Now, while, mashallah, in much of our industry, we do get halal, as long as it's certified and so on and known, the tayyib aspect is another thing that we need to worry about, the purity of something, how it's brought up, how it's reared, the kind of food it has, the conditions it's kept in. That's a whole other discussion that's too specific for our discussion today. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moves on to another issue. Um, as I said, there's ma faratna, you know, that, as Allah will say later on, that we've not left anything out of this Quran. So the next thing is about taking oaths. So Allah says in verse 89, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not take you to task for your redundant oaths almost, right? For your redundant oaths, but He will take you to task for those that you ratify. Right? Now what does that mean? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the expiation for breaking an oath. So oaths can be on many ways, right? The one oath is I swear about something of the past, right? You're, there's a case going on that did you see a white car here? And I thought I did see a white car. So in all honesty, I took an oath that wallahi I saw a white car there this morning. There was a white car parked outside the masjid. But I happened to be wrong. They checked the camera and it was wrong. And I got a mistake. I was fasting. I don't know. I made a mistake somehow. So Allah will not take you to task for that. That's a, remember, that's an oath for the past. Right? There's no expiation for that either. That's just a wrong. Now, if I'd made a mistake, if I'd not made a mistake and if I'd made it told a lie to save somebody, you know, to, uh, to, to misrepresent, then that is called yameen al-ghamus, the immerse, immersing oath. Which means that will immerse you in sin. That's like a deadly oath. Because that is what a lot of people do, do to cause problems in the world. They swear about something clearly. So that's one. Number two, if you swear about something of the future, I'm going to do this. Wallahi, don't worry, I'll come. And then you don't. Then that means you've broken that off. That one, an expiation is necessary. 
It's not really about sin or not in that one, right? Unless you're just making false oath promises. That's more like a promised oath, right? An oath of a promise. So in that one, you'd have to pay an expiation. So if I didn't fulfill it, I said, Wallahi, I'm not going to speak to them again. I shouldn't say that anyway. But if I did, I, in some cases, you're actually forced to break the oath and then pay the kafara, as the Prophet said in the hadith, because the oath was wrong to take. So anyway, any oath that's broken regarding the future something, then Allah talks about the kafara of it, the expiation of it being feeding 10 miskeens, 10 poor people from a, you know, a moderate amount of food or to, to clothe 10 of them or to free a slave. Whoever, those are the first, a lot of people, they jump to the second stage, which they're not allowed to. The second stage, if you don't find any of these three, if you don't find any slaves to, to free, which you're probably not going to, right? Or you can't clothe 10 miskeen because you don't have the money, or you can't feed 10 of them, only then are you allowed to fast for three days. A lot of people just think it's fasting three days first, but it's actually the, it goes in order. You can't fast three days unless you, uh, unless you're inab- unable to do the first, any of the first three things. Allah says, look, maintain your oaths. Like if they're to be maintained, make sure you're careful about them and mind your oaths. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about some other halal and haram issues. Ya amanu al This is now discussing all the haram aspects, by default haram aspects. So Allah says, what's haram for you is intoxicants, wine. Right? That's haram for you. Um, maysir, gambling, ansab, azlam. Now these are azlam, uh, and this is why I don't like to use the word Islam or Muslim. Muslims or Muslim, as people say. Islam is a great religion, right? Even some Muslims are saying that nowadays, right? Because it's a different meaning. The word Islam comes from salam. And Islam, or Islam, or however you want to say it, comes from this idea, which is to do divine, the practice of divining arrows. The people had a quiver, right, of arrows. And the arrows were of different types, generally. And the way they used to do this is that whenever there was a decision they needed to take, they would put their hand in to their quiver and pluck out an arrow. And if it had a certain sign or because you know there were some with red or white or a cut or a slash or different feathers whatever that everybody had their own so if it comes to be of the teak wood or beech wood then i shouldn't do this it's bad so they did it for divining reasons right and that's what aslam is all of that is haram right um they believed in it. You see, one is, I mean, one is you toss a coin to say which one, just to, that's okay. That's like picking lots because you're not thinking there's any efficacy in that. That's just, let's get over it, you know, and let's, let's somebody start, right? This is where they actually believed in the efficacy that these arrows told you something. Or they did it with birds. That if, the, if they let, let go of a bird and let it fly, if it flew to the right, it was a good thing. It's a good omen. If it, if it flew to the left, it was a bad thing. So it wasn't about making a decision, it was more about there was an efficacy understood in these arrows or within these birds and so on. That there's something in there, something is controlling them in that way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, all of this is rijsun, that it's dirt, it's impurity, min amali shaitan, from the actions of the shaitan, stay away from it so that you can gain success. Says about several different things regards uh, khamar and maysir, right, and gambling and, and, and so on. 
And then Allah says after that in verse 91, Right? Allah wants, uh, uh, the shaitan rather, shaitan wants that he create enmity and hatred between you, basically with regards to the, the, the wine and the gambling, because that's what it does. There's, you know, the intoxicant uh, being basically drunk, and then what a person can do in that, they won't make a distinction between their wife and their mother and maybe beat somebody up or say something stupid and, and so on. So that's what shaitan wants to do. It's a proper act of the shaitan, but people love it. I can't believe in this country they had a lockdown uh, on, on many industries and many kind of stores and supplies. And initially they banned uh, off licenses or uh, what do you call those uh, uh, liquor stores, right? And then suddenly they open them up again. As an exception, they make that an exception that that should be open. You know, people need something to maybe calm down with or something. Subhanallah. As a Muslim, you know, when you go into a store and there's like, you go into Costco, for example, right? And they have like two or three major aisles of, you know, uh, of, of liquor. And you just think, Alhamdulillah, I don't even have to check these out. Because can you imagine how much money we save and how much grief that we save? How much anxiety we save just by being Muslims who do not drink? Right? Because anybody who drinks and you think you have to drink, then you have to buy the champagne or bubbly or whatever it is, the wine to calm down your nerves or whatever, get intoxicated, drink and driving problems. As an observing Muslim, you don't just, that's just not a chapter in your life. And that, when that switch is not on, if it's never been on, then it's not even a problem. So the main thing for Muslims, especially the younger folk that I'm speaking to right now, don't ever let that, let that window open that you have ever tasted it. Because then you may want to keep going back to it. Because once you've never tasted it, and you, you don't care about it, and the repugnance is in your heart and the hatred, then it's not, it doesn't even bother you. And that's the best way to avoid, uh, to have immunity rather. That where the switch is just off. You don't even feel like it. Because one is that you're tempted, but you can't, so you have to keep resisting. That's more difficult than, hey, I just don't even feel like it. Alhamdulillah, may Allah just remove that desire from our hearts of these haram things. Allahumma kfina bi halalika an haramik. Allah suffices with the halal away from the haram. So now, so then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala carries on. He says, Another evil of these things is prevent you from the remembrance of Allah and from prayer. How are you going to pray? There are a lot of people who do that and they're like, I can't pray, I'm not clean and so on. So are you going to stop? And uh, be obedient to Allah and His Messenger. And be careful. Anyway, it carries on. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then discusses a number of other things with regards to halal and haram. Are you allowed to hunt? If you're in ihram, are you allowed to hunt? I mean, that's probably not a question that has probably arisen for anybody in living today. Right? But in those days, when you went there, they, you, 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 know, you didn't have the money. You'd go and hunt something. There were probably places to hunt around there. So are you allowed to hunt while you're in ihram? Are you allowed to hunt in the haram? You're not allowed to kill a prey, right? While you're in that sanctified state. Uh, and then if somebody did, because in those days that was a reality, I hope it never becomes a reality again. I mean, with everything that's happening, subhanAllah, it just feels like the world is going backwards. In the sense, back to fitrah, Right? where you might have to start hunting again. Hopefully it doesn't get that back. But, it, you know, alhamdulillah in the West where, where the governments are helping, people generally have a lot of disposable income, they're still doing okay. But in so many other countries, those people who lived hand to mouth, they are struggling. They have no way. They, they're not going to die from the virus. They're going to die from probably hunger or something. 
right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then talks about the Masjid al-Haram and the Kaaba in verse 97. جَعَلَ اللَّهُ الْكَعْبَةَ الْبَيْتَ الْحَرَامَ قِيَامًا لِلنَّاسِ وَالشَّهْرَ الْحَرَامَ وَالْهَدْيَ وَالْقَلَائِدِ ذَلِكَ لِتَعْلَمُ أَنَّ اللَّهِ يَعْلُمُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the house of Allah and its sanctity and, and, and so on. That's why once Umar radiallahu anhu said regarding the sanctity, right, the sanctified nature of the haram, right, uh, of, uh, of Makkah Mukarramah and uh, around the Kaaba, he said that even if Khattab, my father, was his murderers found here and I saw him I wouldn't be able to touch him I wouldn't be able to kill him basically until I take him out of here like it's a no-go area in terms of violation like that now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as I said to you that the mushrikeen used to make all sorts of things haram and give them different names so that's discussion is there in Verse 103, مَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ مِنْ بَحِيرَةِ وَلَا سَائِبَةِ وَلَا وَصِيلَةِ وَلَا حَامِ I'm not going to go into the explanations of all of that. You can check them up if you want to. But Allah has not designated any of that. That's nothing from Allah. He's not formulated all of that. That's all from there and they don't even get it. وَأَكْثَرُمْ لَا يَعْكُلِ It's all irrational. To be honest, I mean the reasoning that they provide is all irrational anyway. For example, for some animals, that's going to come tomorrow. Um... They would say that, we'll, we'll just leave it for tomorrow. I'm spoiling it for tomorrow. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu alaykum anfusakum. Be careful, you know, look after yourself. La yadurrukum an dalla idha tadaytum. And then, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu shahadatu baynikum idha hadara ahadakum al maut. Totally different topic now. And that topic is that if you feel that you are going to die, I mean, I guess... We could die any time, but especially so when, especially if you're on a journey, for example. Uh, or you don't have to be on a journey, but the idea is now to show how to do wasiyah, how to make a bequest, how to basically do a will, almost. So if you don't have pen and paper handy, and you can't document it like that, you can't send an email off, or send a message, a voice message, nowadays it become easier. But what you're supposed to do then is grab two people who are upright, nature especially if you're traveling and uh, you're about to die then, then basically you make them swear an oath and it's the whole discussion about making them because this is very important when somebody dies there's going to be so many issues that cr- uh, crop up and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that make sure you deal with this then after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 109 from there he takes it back to the hereafter because at the end of the day, remember, this book is not about just one theme. It's about several different themes to tug at the cords of our heart and make us realize. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَوْمَ يَجْمَعُ اللَّهُ الرُّسُولَ فَيَقُولُ مَاذَا أُجِبْتُمْ قَالُوا لَا عِلْمَ لَنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ عَلَّامُ الْغُيُوبِ The day when the messengers, the messengers that Allah had sent, they will be gathered and Allah will say, Mada ujibtum? How did you, what kind of response did you receive? And they would say, We don't know. You're the knower of all the unseen things. So saying that, now Suratul Ma'idah, the point comes now, is 
Isa alayhi salam is then singled out and there's a huge discussion about Isa alayhi salam again. And again, that's the, you get a lot of discussion about Isa alayhi salam and Musa alayhi salam because the Christians and Jews, that, that's who they followed or they claimed to follow. So the record is being set right. right? So now this is where the whole concept of Ma'idah now comes in. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when Isa alayhi salam, when Allah, Allah will tell, so part of this discussion with the prophets, the messengers on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will address Isa alayhi salam. And he'll say that, Ya Isa ibn Maryam, O Isa son of Mary, do you, do you rem remember the bounties that I provided you and on your mother? And then all the bounties are mentioned. Ayyattuka biruhil qudus, assisted you and supported you with the Ruhul Qudus, Jibreel alayhi salam, right? You then spoke to people in your cradle, right? And then, of course, when you were older, Kahal, Kahal means when you're middle age. And I mentioned to you the other day that there's no discussion of his childhood and young age. He comes back on the scene at about 30 or so. And that's discussion in Mahdam wa Kahla. And we taught you the book and wisdom and the Torah, the Injil, and the other things we taught you is that, this is very interesting, all the miracles now, that you used to form from clay like the form of a bird, right? You used to mold it, right? And that with our permission, you would then blow onto it with the name of Allah and it would become a real bird. It would fly away, literally. So that was one of the things. You, you could cure the leper, you could cure the, the, the blind. By In fact, there's even some narrations, not in the Quran, uh, actually, you could even revive, sorry, it is there, you can revive even the deceased, the dead. That happened at least on one occasion when they challenged him. Can you do this? You do all of this, can you do that? So they went to a certain person's grave and he was revived and he had yellow, uh, white hair and so on. And where we protected you from the Bani Israel. So, um, and then he carries on and then discusses his Hawariin, his disciples, the people that were around him. And this kind of shows the attitude of the Sahaba, their pure attitude. They just had no questions. Everything was amanna wa sallamna. We submit, right? Ala rasi wal ain, as the, you know, ala rasi, as the Syrians would say, right? On my head, on my eyes, you know, whatever. So the Hawariyin, they said to, uh, they asked uh, Isa alayhi salam, can your Lord... Can your Lord, does he have the ability to cause a spread of food to descend upon us from the heavens? So Isa says, in kuntum mu'minin. That is verse 112, if you're following. Right? Isa tells him, fear Allah. If your believers fear Allah, what kind of a question is that? So they said, no, nuridu an na'kula minha. We want to eat from it. And our hearts will be more content and satisfied. And we know then you've told us the truth. Can you imagine the Sahaba ever saying that? SubhanAllah, never, right? Then we can be of the witnesses to that as well. So Isa said, Look, uh, Isa then called on to Allah. Oh Allah, have one of these descend for us, right? Obviously, in his own words, that could then be a Eid for us. Awalina wa akhirina wa means would be a sign from you. Warzukna wa anta khayru razikin in his own way, he called unto Allah for it. So Allah says, Okay, I will have one come down. I'll send one down for you. Right? I'll send the order out. 
Um, but if anybody then denies afterwards and di di disbelieves afterwards, then فَإِنِّي أُعَذِّبُهُ عَذَابًا لَا أُعَذِّبُهُ أَحَدًا مِنَ الْعَالَمِينَ Allah said, I'll do it for you because you've asked. But if uh, anybody denies afterwards, I'll punish them with such a punishment, right? That I've never punished anybody like that from the, from the worlds. Then after that, the discussion is about Isa and his mother, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about another discourse that, uh, did you tell people uh, that you should take me, Ya Isa, anta kulta nas that you should take me and my mother to be gods, aside from Allah? So Isa says, Subhanak, how can I say something like that? Right? If I, in fact, Isa uses a very rational argument. He says, if I said that, you would have known about it. You're the knower of everything, right? You know what's in my heart. I don't know what you're thinking, but you know what's in my heart. You're knower of everything. I only told him what you told me to tell him. Ma kultum illa ma amartani bi. You know, from verse 116, 117. And until I was with them, I was a witness. But when you, when you took me, when you took me from this world, then you were, in you, you were looking after them and you know everything. So Allah knows best. But then, this is the beauty of prophets. He then says something that's just gone down, you know, subhanAllah in history and off-quoted, especially with regards to du'as. Look, if you want to punish them, you have the absolute right because they are your servants. You have the absolute right to punish them. But in hakim. If you do forgive them, then you have the might and the command, the judgment, the wisdom to do that. Meaning, even though you can, you will, basically the idea here is that if you do forgive them, you won't be doing it because of helplessness, because you can't punish them anyway. No, you have absolutely all capacity to do that. But if you did that, that would be, that's the contrast he's showing. And that's his way of making dua to Allah. You can use this dua. Oh Allah, if you want, you can punish me. You have the absolute right to do so. But if you forgive then, you know. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَالَ اللَّهُ On that day of judgment, anybody who's been truthful, their truth will be of benefit to them. And again, for them will be those jannat, those gardens. And Allah will be pleased with them. Now, by that, that that's a bit about the day of judgment again to finish off the surah. Now we move on to suratul an'am. Now suratul an'am is to do with animals, Right? So anyway, the idea here now is, this is a very interesting surah, and I'm going to do my best to give you the main themes, and the main idea, and the main way that it works. But this is a surah that you will have to read for yourself. Like for sure, you have to read the whole Quran anyway, but this one, to really appreciate it, because there's a constant movement in there. We won't, we won't have the time to go through it's in that kind of detail to appreciate. I'm going to try to bring up. It's a different. It's, it's about primarily one theme. One or two themes, primarily. All about reflection. And mo the, the biggest idea in there is the Prophet ﷺ is basically being accused, slandered, criticized, and so on and so forth. Huge challenge for him to get the message across. So they're asking him all sorts of things. Why don't you send us this miracle? Why don't you produce this miracle or that? Bring it, bring it on. Now, Allah is then going to tell them that, look, if we want, we can bring you whatever miracles you want, but they're still not going to believe. They're still not going to believe. They're just wasting your time. They're just 
excuses they don't want to believe. So it's a constant discussion of two types of answers. But before we get there, let's just quickly discuss the preliminaries of the chapter. This surah comes after Surah Ma'idah, as you know, in this seventh Jews of the Quran. And there are, I think, 165 verses in here, right? I think there's 165 verses in here. Just make sure. And that is right. 165 verses. And there's about 20 thematic sections. You can s split it into ruku, as we call them. And it's a makki surah. So as soon as I say makki surah, now you know it's not going to have too many laws. It'll have a few maybe. But the majority of it will be about instilling, reviving, emphasizing, and establishing the tawheed of Allah. And responding to a lot of faith-based questions, theological questions. That's what makki surahs are generally. Uh, mainly talking about tawheed. Risala, the messenger, establishing the messengership of the Prophet ﷺ, and the Akhirah and resurrection. Those are the major themes in Makki surahs. So, as I said, the biggest theme in here you're going to see over and over again, in an interlocking kind of way, uh, overlocking, uh, overlocking kind of way, is it's about removing the bad theology, the bad doctrines, the corrupt beliefs of... Uh, uh, of the mushrikeen and responding to them now the response is given in two ways one is to basically give them what you would call um, challenging answers that don't you see it this way right what about if this happens who does this for you who does that for you and most of them start with kul 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 that's where you see so many quls I didn't count how many but kul means wherever you see kul it means say and generally throughout the Quran, whenever qul is said, it's said to the Prophet ﷺ, O Messenger, O, o my, my, my Prophet, say, and so on. Right? So, it, it, nearly, it, it, it has one of those, then it has a fact. So, constantly there's a fact, and then there's say this as a response. A fact, and say this as a response. Or ask this question, ask this question. So, we will... Just to give you a few before we actually go through it quickly. Um, yeah, so the other facts that are produced there and the challenges that are produced through that, they're axiomatic. They're basically firmly established ideas that anybody who ponders over it purely from a human perspective without any bias, they can't deny it. Right? You, you'll understand what I'm saying. Speaking about the earth... And the heavens, for example, death, creation, um, helplessness of the human being, right? Human weakness, human need, uh, sustenance, provision, and all of these things. These are things that you don't need any evidence for. Axiomatic understanding means those things which everybody just gets. If you think about it, you'll just get it. You don't have to do any syllogism. You don't have to use any logical premises. It's just obvious. These are obvious matters. So, uh, one of the common themes that you're going to see is that Allah, how Allah is dominant. And many examples are shown to show the weakness and helplessness of the human being. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about vulnerability while asleep. 
in verse 60, for example, that you could just die in your sleep. Um, then the kind of more responsive questions are, they're going to ask you about uh, who owns everything in the heavens and the earth. Or you can ask them who owns everything in the heavens and the earth. So you see, the idea was that a lot of mushrikeen, uh, uh, you see, there are three types of kufr. One is a type of kufr where you're ignorant. That you just have no idea. So that's why you say, I don't believe it because I don't know anyway. The other one is you know, deep down. But you don't believe because you got more, you, you, you're, you've got more affinity to something else. My parents' religion or my culture is more important. This is, people will experience this in various ways in their life. They know something is the truth, but they're not willing to say it because they've got some other loaded aspects in their mind that, they'll have to, that, that they just can't bother or they don't have the time to deal with. Or they can't because there's fear. So that's why you've got kufru jahl, kufru inad, and kufru juhud. So the third one is where you absolutely know for sure, but you obstinately, re, uh, you obstinately reject. So you either reject because of ignorance, you, you reject because of... Uh, um, because you just deny, you don't want to think about it. And the third one is you know, but you reject because you're being obstinate. So it's different shades. So a lot of these people, there were different shades among the people of Makkah as well. But among them, some of them were that Islam was in their heart. They knew it was true. Just like Amr ibn As said that when he heard Ja'far anhu's qira'a reading in Abyssinia, he said, Islam, the seed of it came into my heart. But he, he was a delegate from the people of Makkah. He was actually against the Muslims. He didn't believe then. It took him a few years for that seed to germinate and eventually became a Muslim. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then is saying a lot of these things that they know inherently they know is to be true. A lot of inherent facts, which basically helps. And mashallah, the, the, just the uslub of the Quran is wonderful. Very powerful surah. So if, you want, if you've got a friend who's thinking, let them read this. Read it to them. Learn it yourself so that you can speak to them with those same kind of ideas. Wonderful surah for da'wah, by the way. So, let us uh, quickly look until he gets to a main story of Ibrahim a.s. So, Ibrahim a.s. is now featured very strongly, especially uh, his faith, how he discovered faith as such, his journey, and then his whole thing with his father. Right? That if you have to give up your father for true faith, then we've got an example of that in Ibrahim alayhi salam. Then he mentions a number of other prophets. So let's just quickly uh, just skim through this. As I said, it's something you're going to have to read yourself. Allah starts off, Alhamdulillahi samawati wal ard. He's the creator. All praises to Allah who created the heavens and earth. Absolute facts. He's the one who created uh, darkness and light. Then these people who disbelieve their basically equalizing with Allah. They're making others with Allah. خلقكم من طين. He's the one who created you from soil, from, from, from dirt. ثم قضى أجلا. I don't think anybody in those days would have known the, the, the origin. They didn't have those laboratories to figure those things out. The biology hadn't been at that level, I think. So obviously later. ثم قضى أجلا. And uh, we can't read all of this. But basically Allah is then saying in verse 4 that every time any verse that comes to them, they just reject it. And uh, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses different arguments. That have you, alam uh, kam, have they not seen how we've destroyed the people before them 
who we settled on the earth and we'd given them uh, um, uh, uh, and, and basically we'd showered, showered upon them lots of rain and water and we'd given them lakes and streams and so on but then eventually when they did wrong we destroyed them just because you have things doesn't mean that you have ultimate success ultimate success is about the hereafter then Allah mentioned a number of other things that even if we were to send them upon them a written piece of written document right which they could even touch because remember the Quran didn't come down in writing it came down in words memorized even if we sent them from the divine realm a divine piece of writing I don't know how that would look like it'd be quite amazing right a divine piece of writing that they could even touch and admire and believe that that they would still say in hadha illa sihrum mubin because when you got obstinacy or you got other affinities then it's the truth doesn't make a difference to you then another one they say is that why doesn't allah send a, an angel why why a human being why not an angel so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says walau anzalna malakan verse 8 if we did send an angel then the matter would have been dealt with Right? That would have been a serious issue. And okay, even if we did send an angel, we would have made him a man. We would have made him look like a man. Right? Because otherwise there's going to be too much, oh, he's an angel. There's other places in the Quran where Allah says that if he sent an angel, well, you don't, he doesn't eat. He doesn't need to eat or drink or sleep. So, So look, the Prophet he's saying to him that even before you, other messengers were mocked. Right? But all of that, is just going to lead them to their destruction. Travel the earth. Go and look at the remnants of the Ad and Thamud. Go to Madain Saleh. Right? Go to Petra. Go to, you know, down south to Yemen. Right? And you'll see the remnants of these places. I mean, this, it just take reflection. I mean, like, what do I miss out? You know, what do I not do? So I'm going to have to uh, rush this a bit. Um, Allah asks, وَإِيَمْسَسْكَ اللَّهُ بِدُرٍ If He afflicts you with some kind of harm, then there's nobody to re- relie- relieve you except Him. And if He gives you any good, then He has ability over everything. وَهُوَ الْقَاهِرُ فَوْقَ إِبَادِ He has might over everyone. Okay, some... Of course, all of that, also, there's discussions about the hereafter and a lot of warnings that are provided, but... Then something very interesting in verse 28 or 27, 26, uh, 27, 28. بَلْ بَدَا مَا كَانُوا قَبْلُ وَلَوْ رُدُّوا لِمَا عَنْهُ وَإِنَّهُمْ لَكَاثِبُونَ That even in the hereafter, for example, if things became very clear for them and then they were sent back on earth, they would still basically go back to doing what they did because that's become their nature. That's, as I said yesterday or the day before, I can't remember now, that if you can't do something, then don't justify it. Don't make that become your nature. Always despise it and want to be out of it. Because once something becomes your nature, a bad deed becomes your nature, then it's very difficult to come out. And that's why Allah is saying it can become so worse that even if you went and saw the reality and the punishment and everything, you'd still come back and do the same thing. Because it's become your nature. Allah protect us. That's why one of my du'as is that, oh Allah, protect us from such sins which have become part of our lives and we don't even see them as sins anymore. Because believe me, that's, 
even many of us practicing people, we have these issues. So Allah help us. That's why walau taraid wukifu ala rabbihim verse thirty. When you see that they will be stood uh, by their Lord, then they're going to say, yes, this is definitely the truth. Now, now uh, taste the punishment because you disbelieved before. Right, to move on, another thing they say, Why doesn't a sign come from, why isn't a sign is revealed from Allah? Allah can reveal whatever ayat He wants, but people just, they don't know. Please, go and read this for yourself and reflect over it. It's, it's very powerful, and we just can't do it justice in the short amount of time that, that we have. So then Allah says, uh, another relevant part that I just want to bring up, 44, verse 44. That look, for some people, this is a major delusion, right? And we are understanding this today. I hope so. Right? And a lot of people are understanding this, but when it's over, they might forget again. I don't know, you know, Allah, I don't know what Allah has in store for us. I just hope that we realize. When they forgot what they had been reminded by, right? And they just like, we, we, we don't want anything to do with it. We don't care about it. فَتَحْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ أَبْوَابَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ We flung open the doors of everything. Like, what would you want? Like, everything, right? Until they became very excited about what they'd been given. We seized them suddenly, without any notice. Now what? Right? Then Allah, again, remember I said, قُلْ 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 So you see another one here, قُلْ أَرَأَيْتُمْ إِنْ أَخَذَ اللَّهُ سَمْعَكُمْ Say, Messenger, say to them, uh, say to them that if Allah takes away your listening and your sight, places a seal on your heart, do you have any other Lord that can bring about, that can replace them for you? Right? Look how we turn the verses, meaning how we repeat the verses of the Quran over and over again. So sometimes if it doesn't affect you, it'll affect you later. Again, what do you think? Say to them that, you know, if Allah was to suddenly bring a punishment on you openly, right? And so on. So, tell them that I don't have the treasures of the heavens and the earth. Anyway, I'm getting too engrossed in that and we don't have the time. So now let's rush forward uh, a lot of verses to, I mean, one thing we are told, which I think is important in verse 68 is, fi ayatina. When you see those people who are just uh, bantering about our signs, not taking them seriously, like just ignore them, turn away from them. Until they start another discussion, a better discussion, right? And if shaitan is to, uh, if shaitan is to kind of make you forget, then once you remember, once you remember, like, okay, maybe you just got into the banter and you didn't ignore it, you didn't turn away. If shaitan does make you forget, he's blaming the shaitan here, then Once you've got the realization, then you should not be sitting with the oppressive people afterwards. Right, now let us move on to verse 74, which is the story of Ibrahim salam. So after all of that reflection, argument, uh, evidences, 
Allah says, وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ لِأَبِيهِ آزَرَ أَتَتَّخِذُ أَصْنَامًا آلِهَا Ibrahim is confronting his father, Azar, saying, are you taking these idols uh, as gods? إِنِّي أَرَاكَ وَقَوْمَكَ فِي ضَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ I see you and your people in clear error, even one's own father. There is a different opinion whether that was his uncle or his real father. Either way, it doesn't make a difference, even if it's your own father. And then Allah talks about this whole reflecting on the heavens and the earth. وَكَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ We showed Ibrahim السلام, the kingdom of the heavens and the earth. So generally the mulk is defined as that which you can see. And the malakut is that part of Allah's creation that you cannot see, like the angels and the unseen realities. That's mulk and malakut generally. Sometimes they're both used for the same meaning as well. So then that whole story which you probably know about, that he is determining a way to find God, like the evidence for that. Right? There's, no, there's no evidence that he didn't know God already. It seems like this could be a theological exercise. Allah knows best. Right? So he had definitely discernment, you can tell from when he escaped from his father, when he left them and departed. And Allah showered him great beliefs because through sacrifice, when you give sacrifice for your deen, it might be difficult. Can you believe leaving your family, leaving your area, leaving your hometown, traveling somewhere else? And he becomes one of the greatest prophets. After Muhammad the greatest of the prophets is Ibrahim Greater than Adam and Nuh and all of them. Right? And that doesn't come easy, that comes with sacrifice. So don't stop doing something because there's sacrifice and difficulty. Right? If you're having Islamophobic attacks and you think everybody's against you, that's difficulty, but that's life. Our real life is the hereafter. All of these difficulties, inshallah, will just push you forward. Remember Ibrahim Alayhi story. So anyway, the story is that he saw the stars and he thought that could be God, right? Or said that could be God. And then when they disappeared, how can that be God? They disappeared. Then he saw the moon, it's a bit brighter and bigger. That could be God, you know? It says... And again, this is a lesson for everybody else who's listening. And then eventually he puts his hands up and he says, well, he doesn't literally put his hands up, but that's my expression. He says, if Allah doesn't guide, guide me, if my Lord does not guide me. Now he's not even calling him Allah. Maybe because it's a step-by-step -step process. You don't know him yet, right? You know him to be your Lord because you've figured out that there has to be one creator of the earth. And he's the one who looks after everything on the earth. That means he is Rabb. That's what Rob means. He's the one who looks up. Because when you look around the world and you see how it's been taken care of, you think it must have a murabbi, a Rob. That's why rationally it's easier to conceive of a Lord than a creator, a, 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 a caretaker, an administrator, than Allah. Because Allah, although that is Allah, but Allah is a very comprehensive idea and you can't just figure that out straight away. Eventually it all leads to Allah as in who Allah is. But the, the aspect of uh, the, the, the characteristic is the Rabb or the Khaliq or the Qadir, the one who has ability over everything or the one who knows everything. That's something you can figure out rationally. So then he says, if, he doesn't, if my Lord does not uh, guide me, then I'm going to be from among the misled ones. So then he sees the sun out in its all glory. And I do a paraphrase translation, you know, just to make it easy. He said, this must be my Lord. This is, the, this is the biggest of all. But when that also disappeared, it disappears every day. So you can tell that this is just a theological exercise, it seems. Then he says, 
inni wajjahtu, now that's the pure monotheism. This expression, inni wajjahtu wajhiya lilladhi fatara samawati wal ard, hanifa wa ma'an mushrikeen, is one of the highest expressions of that. It's called dua tawjih Some people read this actually in the beginning of prayer or before prayer, which is to say that I direct my face right towards the one who created the heavens and the earth, cutting away from all lords except him, Hanifa. وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ His وَحَاجَهُ قَوْمُ uh, Verse 80 They disputed with him And uh, his whole response is there And then Then it says وَتِلْكَ حُجَّتُنَا That is all the evidences that we gave to. That's the understanding and the evidence we gave to Ibrahim alayhi uh, salam Verse 83 And uh, we basically put up the level of whoever we wish And then there's lots of prophets mentioned now We Gave to him Ishaq and Ya'qub Each one of them we guided The Nuh we also guided From his and then from him came Dawood, Sulaiman, Ayyub, Yusuf, Musa, Harun Zakaria, Yahya, Isa, Ilyas Ismail, Yasa, Yunus, Luta This is probably I'm not sure but I think Is this the place where it has the most names of prophets altogether? Um, there are 18 prophets mentioned here not sure if that's the most names in one place in the Quran. But then Allah discusses about all of them, how we guided them, how we assisted them, how we gave them their proofs and so on. And Allah, these are all the people that we've that Allah has guided. Through their guidance, you follow. And uh, say that I'm not gonna ask you for any ajr, I'm not gonna ask you for any payment. Right? This is just a reminder for the people. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues with those same goes back to the same kind of arguments and same uh, facts and figures and things that are uh, that are mentioned you know from all verses you can see 95 in Allah fariqul habbi wa nawa talking about some very subtle things like Allah is the one who lets the seed germinate you got a whole j- seed has no holes in it and then suddenly it opens up and this whole tree is comes out i mean just imagine if you just think about that who built that functionality in a single seed that you plant it somewhere and it suddenly germinates takes the nourishment from the ground and has its own design and blueprint inside it and becomes the oak tree or the teak or the ebony or the the the, the pine or a fruit tree it's even more and that's actually one of the, my favorite verses here is verse 99 he it's he who caused water to descend basically rain from the heavens and by that we caused the crops and the produce of many things to grow from them and lots of greenery from the palm trees the, uh, the, the, the palm trees and the huge grape vines that you have the zaytun, the olive, the rumman right? uh, which is the, the pomegranate and subhanAllah, there is one person I think I know who actually became Muslim just by thinking over the fruits. And every time I have a fruit, just look at the watermelon, how every aspect of it, the size, the texture, the content, the flavor, is totally different to a mango, to a durian, amazing fruit durian is. The, if you, those of you in Malaysia and uh, those kind of countries will know what a durian is. Some people run a mile from it, but it amazes me. The way it's made with the spikes, you cut the spikes very thick, open up, it's actually got these nice four sections that hold the, 
the meat inside and the meat is like ice cream if you like it right it just melts amazing and that's totally different to a lychee to a mongoustine to a rangutan right ajib is it a rangutan i think that's what it's called it's like a mongoustine amazing fruits are just amazing the banana is totally different apple and just an orange common fruit but look at the 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 skin the two colored tone skin red outside uh, sorry yellow uh, orange outside white inside the flesh then there's another kind of cover over the actual segments then you take off this then you re, uh, separate the segments each one is a separate segments when you are to peel off the skin of the segment there are actually small small segments inside I mean, you just throw them in your mouth. You don't even look at this stuff. But when I open up an orange and you sometimes open up the peel of one segment and you see the small, small segments and then you enjoy that, there's a totally different try it today or tomorrow, right? Get an orange, open up the peel and enjoy the segment and you'll see a totally different, different thing to just putting in your mouth like that. Everything is amazing. There's just so much comprehensiveness. So all of that is discussed. I said you need to Look at this for yourself and ponder over it. لا تدركوا الأبصار وهو يدرك الأبصار. Right? Allah's not some someone that you can encompass. He encompasses everything, but you will not encompass him. وهو اللطيف الخبير. He's the all subtle and he's the all knowledgeable. And then Allah talks about all the other evidence. And the final point is about the disbelievers. ونقلب أفيلتهم وأبصارهم كما لم يؤمنوا به أول مرة ونذرهم في دغيانهم يعمهون. We're gonna have to leave them in their tyranny. Right? running around in their tyranny, we're just going to have to leave them like that. So, alhamdulillah, let us just do a quick uh, roundup and summary of the seventh Jews of the Qur'an. Basically, Allahu Akbar starts off with a number of fiqhi, uh, starts off with the discussion of those Christians who became Muslim from uh, Abyssinia, then discusses a number of the ahkam, fiqhiyah, kaffa, uh, expiation for oaths, um, prohibition of wine, gambling, uh, hunting in haram, etc., all of that. Then it carries on and then there's a discussion about uh, making a bequest, especially at death and how witnessing, how you take witnesses. Then Isa discussion is there, Allah's discussion with him, his discussion with the Hawariyin, the concept of the Ma'idah for which this surah, uh, surah is named and so on. And uh, you get an understanding of the Sahaba and how submissive they were. Then there is the discussion about Isa alayhi salam and how he's not responsible uh, you know, for the kufr that was done after him. Then after that you have, uh, which we'll probably look at tomorrow, the beginning and ending of the surah are, are very similar. We'll look at that later. And a lot of advice to those who do not see the signs of Allah. Like why don't you see them? So, so many, so many signs are mentioned. Like they're so obvious and you still don't see them. So then there's, of course, the discussion between Ibrahim his people and his father, which is a very important uh, milestone that you need to read, a very important point you need to read because it has a lot of theological benefits. And the main thing is that when you read this, inshallah, your understanding of Allah will grow. Right? That's what the whole point of this surah is to just establish your understanding. If you're a Muslim for so long, you think I'm a Muslim and you think you can't benefit, Read this surah and ponder over everything that it says about Allah and His Messenger. And inshallah you will see that your deen will become further. So we ask Allah to f strengthen our deen for us. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assist us, may Allah bless us, may Allah illuminate our days and our life and our hereafter with the Qur'an. And um, may Allah allow us to, full, to remove our shortcomings. Uh, I did um, promise that some uh, resources for those who want to study further, right? And so uh, l let me just quickly do that. I mean, you're going to need some tafsirs. So of course there's some good tafsir resources online as well. But the, in terms of those which are printed or available online, I would suggest that you look at the following tafsirs. And I'm talking to an English audience, right? English or Urdu or some other audience. I mean, you know, that, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Because if you're an alim and you have access to Arabic, then I would tell you to go to quranicthought.org.com. Quranic Thought. It's this huge website. And it incorporates on there attafsir.com. Tafsir.com is like the go-to place for tafsirs. They're still building the English side of it, but from the Arabic side, it has got like pr pretty much a huge number of tafsirs. And you can pick a verse and then pick which tafsir you want to see it from. I use that for a lot of res uh, research when I want to. So that's definitely a go-to place. But for English, then what we have available in English is basically uh, uh, a few good tafsirs. Number one, for a shorter one, you can either get the translation of the Jalalain. The Jalalain, right? You can get a translation of that. It's by Suyuti and Mahalli. And there's a decent translation of that. Um, uh, it's, it's published in one volume. Another short, uh, slightly longer with more comments and uh, commentary is uh, you can get uh, the, the Tafsir Uthmani. That's translated as well. Uh, Mufti Taki Uthmani's uh, translation has some nice comments. His translation is decent, but the comments are really useful. That's being republished by Torah right now. Hopefully when that comes, that'll be a very good because they've really spruced it up and made it look nice. Then of course, if you want to go for something larger in about eight volumes, then there's the Ma'ariful Quran. I think it's one of the kind of more prolific tafsirs translated into English, one of the first, uh, along with maybe Tafsir ibn Kathir. So those two are the more prolific ones. There's translations of Tafsir ibn Kathir and there's translation of Ma'ariful Quran by Mufti Shafi Uthmani, which is basically Mufti Taqi Uthmani's father. Rahimahullah, Mufti Shafi. Then there's also parts of Imam Razi's tafsir for the really adventurous. That gets a lot more complicated, more advanced. So uh, that's more for the advanced. And then a, the, there may be translations of the Qurtubi's tafsir and some other tafsirs. But I think there's a lot in there. And of course, there's a lot of good coverage uh, in different languages. I don't know Turkish tafsir, so uh, I, I can't suggest any right now. Um, maybe if somebody wants to let us know later And we will cover, cover that in And other languages like in Urdu Ma'ariful Quran is actually originally in Urdu So those who have access to Urdu You can even take it from the original To be honest Or Tafsir Uthmani is in Urdu as well And in Urdu there is also Bayanul Quran Which is amazing Of Hakimulam Mamanan Shavi Tanwi Right, that's not in English That's an amazing Tafsir Quite for both for the, uh, for the advanced As well as the intermediate Anyway, I think that's enough for today uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from this. Jazakallah khair wa akhir da'wana anil hamdulillahi rabbil alameen.